first, there was a dream. Now, there is reality. Who is number one? Africa's reascension is number one. We were decultured during the diaspora, slavery, and so forth. It's very important for us to understand how we were recultured and reorganized. We are not uncultured simply because we don't have African culture. You see, we have been what? Recultured and rearranged and restructured. You see, and we must understand in depth how that restructuring took place and how it expresses itself. You know, in the way we relate to each other. You see, because it is this reculturation ultimately that we must do what? We must reconstruct. We must tear down. We must remove outside of ourselves. So it's not enough to say what we have been acting as a people. A high African culture was taken away from our people, but we must come to understand how we have been newly created by another people. And how does that new creation, under their power, represents itself in our personalities and in our social lives, in the way we think, in the way we behave, in the way we perceive the world, in the way we relate to each other and the whole day. Because it's, it's with that understanding that you design an educational curriculum for African children. The way the system of European control works is that you have to accept a concept of reality which makes them superior. If you deny that, their thing will not work. And they will lose their control. The whites and their offspring understood that if we continue to practice our culture, that's when we always overthrew them anytime they invaded our country. Africa's reascension. Hetepu, Yemhotep, Indamana, Indamanesh, Nangadef, Majwo, Kopango, Kedu, Majwo, Habargani, Salbalta, Anisogoma, Peace, War, War. War. Pan African Greetings family, you've been at Africa's Reascension, and this is your host, Kamal McCasey Tahuvi. We'll start off this show as usual with an apai or libation which deliberately calls upon the energies of our African gods, our African spirit forces, and the forces of those yet born to guide and bless this endeavor. I go, I go, I go. Otomakuman, yame, yame, wa. Treaty of Pong, Babu Lisa, Olo Drum. 
Amen. Amenet. Bejeansa. Asasayansa. Abasunansa. Abasun Kohansa. Then a Sergebeansa. Then a Esiketuansa. Then a Kofi. Then a Tigrain. Then a Tigrain. Then a Tigrain. Then a Tigrainansa. Then a Kubiansa. Quite cool free. Akonaria Bena. I took Amen, men. Amen, men. Mochuba shall go. Mochuba, oh ya. Mochuba, oh shoo. Ancha herek, jehut. Ancha herek, asar. Ancha herek, segments. Nana no men saman. And saman for abasu a foul. Abasu. As you, Odomakuman, and Yame and Yamewa, Tridi Paul, Mawulisa, Olorun, Amen, Amenet, Katuakase. Use me and this form to transmit clear, African centered, theoretical, and practical information. So those listening can use it for their own transformation back into the sovereign Africans they once were. May I speak directly to their Sumsu, their spirit? Their Ori, their Okra, and Okrawa, their spiritual head, and their Ab, the heart, which for Kemet was the seat of intelligence. And may these words awaken the long, dormant, and asleep African inside of them. Kum Achiwarefo Yena O. Kum Oborfo Yena O. Kum Achiwarefo. The Apaya libation is an ancient practice that is still done to this nanosecond in all rural traditional areas throughout the continent, past, present, future become one as those of tomorrow look upon what we are doing now and drawing strength from and doing the rituals of yesterday.
from the wounds of the ships and claim your story. Spirit of the dead, rise up. Lingering spirit of the dead, rise up and possess your vessel. Those Africans, shackled in leg, irons, and enslaved, step out of the acres of cane fields and cotton fields and tell your story. Spirit of the dead, rise up. Lingering spirit of the dead, rise up and possess your bird of passage. Those lynched in the magnolias, swinging on the limbs of the weeping willows, rotting food for the vultures, step down and claim your story. Spirit of the dead, rise up. Lingering spirit of the dead, rise up and possess your vessel. Those tied, bound, and whipped from Brazil to Mississippi, step out and tell your story. Those in Jamaica, in the fields of Cuba, in the swamps of Florida, the rice fields of South Carolina, you waiting Africans, step out and tell your story. Spirit of the dead, rise up. Lingering spirit of the dead, rise up and possess your bird of passage from Alabama to Suriname up to the caves of Louisiana. Come out, you African spirits. Step out and claim your stories. You raped, slave bred, castrated, burned, tarred and feathered, roasted, chopped, lobotomized, bound and gagged. You African spirits, spirit of the dead, rise up. Lingering spirit of the dead, rise up and possess your bird of passage. You are listening to a pre-recorded broadcast here at Africa's Reascension. Please make sure to check out cafepress.com slash Kamal301 for your exclusive Africa's Reascension gear. T-shirts for men and women, mugs, water bottles, etc. Help support the cause of Africa's reascension. Cafepress.com slash Kamau, K-A-M-A-U 301. We now return to our program. We are reintroducing our Getting to Know series in anticipation of our interview this Sunday, November 19th, with Jaja Malik Atenra, who has authored arguably the most important and what should be the most talked about book in our circles of 2018 Gregorian calendar, entitled Ma'atism, an Indigenous African Revolutionary Ideology. So, for the next few days, we shall be airing former blog talk shows from Mr. Atten Ra. His show was called Pan-Africanism or Parish. However, since he has left blog talk, if you didn't already know of his wonderful show, you cannot find his archives here because blog talk has deleted them. So we shall re-air a few of them that we saved to wet your palate for our live Sunday interview with this dedicated race man, 
dedicated Pan-Africanist and dedicated African victory architect. This show was entitled The Clash of Civilizations, a critique of Samuel Huntington. Enjoy. Uh, so we don't have a whole lot of 
a uh, bunch of um, you know crazy, confused type of solutions uh, that we are hearing and seeing. Uh, it is quite simple, and I think the solution uh, to for African people uh, as it pertains to their liberation has always been simple in the sense that we need to unite as African people, and from that we need to move forward and liberate ourselves from all forms of oppression. Uh, but with that, before we get into the topic of of today, I like to always start the show off with a definition of a pan-Africanism. So uh, those of you who are new uh, uh, to the idea of pan-Africanism, it's not a uh, something I came up with. Uh, it has been around for over a century, um, over a century, and has been advocated by some of the great ancestors, uh, African ancestors, uh, from around the world. So this is not something new. It has and still is the only viable solution to African liberation. So uh, the definition that I like to use is by uh, the Guyanese Pan-Africanist Usi Kawana. He states, Pan-Africanism, quote, is a body of thought and action shared but not uniform or dogmatic, flowing from individual groups, masses of people, and occasionally from governments tending to the restoration of freedom and dignity for Africans at home and abroad. It has grown to be the principal means by which Africans seek unity and express a common purpose and determine to achieve their goals. It is dynamic and not stagnant. It has the ability of transforming itself and accumulating new Pan-Africanist ideological perspectives in light of experience. And I think the, this definition is probably one of the best definitions of Pan-Africanism that I have come across, uh, in particular the last sentence uh, where it has the ability of transforming itself and accumulating new Pan-Africanist ideological perspectives in light of experience. So basically we have a, a, a framework as African people, no matter where we're at around the world, that we can use uh, to free ourselves, to liberate ourselves. So uh, it is flexible. It can adjust to the issues of African people, regardless of their various uh, geographical locations, languages, religions, etc. Uh, the other thing that I like to add into this, because once again, uh, although this show does advocate Pan-Africanism as the only solution to liberating African people, we also need to, uh, you know, basically define who is a Pan-Africanist because, uh, like I stated before, a lot of people out there advocating many different types of things, uh, and as Pan-Africanists, we need to come together and move forward. Everyone is not going to uh, agree that Pan-Africanism is the solution. Other people are going to assume other things are the solution, uh, they maybe think the help piece alone is the solution, meaning uh, those who are advocating eating healthy foods as the solution to African people problem. There are people who think just embracing and 
traditional indigenous African religion is the only uh, solution to uh, African people's uh, problems and uh, against oppression. Uh, and et cetera, et cetera. We can go on and on and on. There are the people who are waiting for the mothership to come. The people who are tapped into the 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 life force of the universe. I mean, we can go on and on and on. We have a number of African people of African descent who are believing in other things that will not produce their liberation. So with that, as Pan-Africanists, we like to clear the the era in a sense where basically I define uh, what a Pan-Africanist is. So uh, the first criteria that I use is that you must be of uh, African descent, genotypical uh, and uh, phenotypical uh, characteristics of what we call African people today because I know a lot of people want to get into semantics or is the name Africa is really the name of the land and all of these things. So I just like to get down to the very basic uh, level of it, uh, what we are defining as an African today or what the world defines as an African today. Uh, basically, do you look somewhat in that sense like that? So that's basically what uh, we need to clear up because that's one of the things that we definitely have a lot of uh we have a lot of problems with and for us just uh defining exactly who is and who is not and I think one way to clear that up is just going to look at the genotypical and phenotypical characteristics and then just go from there uh and that way you can just clear up a lot of the the madness and you can eliminate the people who uh do not uh do not want to be um part of uh the larger african group uh so you can just lim- you can eliminate that altogether so that's that's basically what you're doing on that uh the second criteria is basically believing <clears throat> that pan africanism is the solution to the problem uh, so it's, it's it's going one step forward. So after you identify that you you are African, then from there you go into do what do you believe is the solution? So obviously, if you're saying you're Pan-Africanist, then you need to <clears throat> promote and advocate Pan-Africanism as the solution. How can you be a Pan-Africanism Pan-Africanist if you're promoting something that's counter to uh, the solution? Uh, of African people for his pan-Africanism. So it's either one or the other in that sense. So uh, you either go from there uh, and it, either go from there and and uh, and leave that as is. So uh, and then the last one is um, basically um, what are you doing? I like to make it simple. Usually I go with these very long definitions of trying to find it, but I like to do the simple talk today. I'm going to do the simple talk today. What are you doing? As a Pan-Africanist, so you identify that you are African, then once from there, then you go from that to now you're saying, okay, uh, what am I doing to advocate the cause of Pan-Africanism? Are you a part of an organization? Um <clears throat> 
Are you part of an organization? Uh, are you? Um, what are you doing? If there's no Pan Africanist organization around, um, uh, what are you doing as an individual? Are you making any type of financial contributions uh, to organizations? Are you joining an organization? What are your efforts? So there's a three-tier level to that. So identifying with Africa, and from there, identifying that you are African and meeting that criteria, from there, believing in Pan-Africanism as the solution, and then from there, actually doing something. So instead of just sitting back and agreeing to the first two, you actually have to take that next step and actually try to do something, either as an individual or as a uh, in a group of some setting. And in some cases, if you're isolated and then you you you, you really don't have the time or effort to to do anything other than give your financial contribution, then that is welcome too. So with that, uh, we'll come back. We'll take a short break, and we will come back uh, and basically get into the discussion uh, with uh, uh, with Clash of Civilization, critiquing that, and we'll go from there. So Pan-Africanism or Parish. You might be missing some of the benefits that stereo can provide.
You are listening to a pre-recorded broadcast here at Africa's Reascension. Please make sure to check out cafepress.com slash Kamal301 for your exclusive Africa's Reascension gear. T-shirts for men and women, mugs, water bottles, etc. Help support the cause of Africa's Reascension. Cafe Press dot com slash Kamal K-A-M-A-U three zero one. We now return to our program. One book has started a revolution. Revolution has come. One book is emptying black churches nationwide. One book has black preachers screaming. www.com slash Kamal K-A-M-A-U 301 Join the revolution We are reintroducing our Getting to Know series in anticipation of our interview this Sunday, November 19th with Jaja Malik Atenra who has authored arguably the most important and what should be the most talked about book in our circles of 2018 Gregorian calendar, entitled Ma'atism, an indigenous African revolutionary ideology. So, for the next few days, we shall be airing former blog talk shows from Mr. Atten Ra. His show was called Pan-Africanism or Perish. However, since he has left Blog Talk, if you didn't already know of his wonderful show, you cannot find his archives here because Blog Talk has deleted them. So we shall re-air a few of them that we saved to wet your palate for our live Sunday interview with this dedicated race man, dedicated Pan-Africanist, and dedicated African Victory Architect. This show was entitled The Clash of Civilizations, a critique of Samuel Huntington. Enjoy. Pan-Africanism, I perish. Uh, greetings. Uh, this is your host, Taj Malik. Uh, let me uh, check in and make sure someone is not waiting. I'm getting used to this new studio here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we have a caller, 1396. Are you just listening or you have a question? Hey, I'm Brian. I'm anti-war activist. And mm-hmm. um, over at LRN.FM, there's a uh, mm-hmm. a lot of good uh, diso- civil disobedience tactics and uh, ideas that they share all the time. Mm-hmm. This 24-hour uh, radio podcast and... Uh, <clears throat> you just, are you just listening for now? Uh, just uh, let me know, uh, raise your hand or something, and uh, I'll let you come in and ask any questions if you have. So we're going to move on with the topic, okay? Sure. All right, thanks. Okay, so uh, once again, today's show is uh, critiquing uh, Samuel P. Huntington's uh, 
controversial clash of civilizations theory. Uh, just give you some background before we listen to an audio clip from him. Uh, at the time that he wrote this was in 1993. Appears in the appeared in the Foreign Affairs Journal Journal in the summer of 1993. Uh, don't pretty know his current uh, positions or anything, but this was, I guess, his uh, what his status at the time when he wrote this. He was the Eaton Professor of Science of Government and director of the John M. Olin Institute for Strategic Studies at Harvard University. Um, and this particular article that uh, he's going to talk about, and we're going to read a couple of excerpts, well, I'm going to read a couple of excerpts for discussion, uh, was a product of the Olin Institute Project on the Changing Security Environment and American National Interests. Um, so we're going to go right from there. Uh, you have a background uh, at the time when he wrote this, uh, exactly uh, what his position was and, and basically who was uh, funding him also with the Olin Institute. Uh, so, And we'll probably go into that a little bit uh, later. Uh, but let's listen to a clip, an uh, excerpt of Samuel P. Huntington's uh, basically talking about his theory, uh, Clash of Civilizations theory. When President Bush rejected the vision thing, he created a vision vacuum. And he thus provided a great opportunity for social scientists who have rushed in where the president feared to tread and have proliferated visions, models, and paradigms of the post-Cold War world. Uh, these include uh, Frank Fukuyama's uh, very imaginative uh, concept of the end of history, a rather conflicting model of, uh, of back to the future, uh, which involves intensifying conflicts between nation states, and uh, an image of the decline of the nation state by the conflicting pulls of tribalism or fra fragmentation on the one hand, and globalism or interpenetration on the other. Each of these images, I think, uh, uh, catches aspects of uh, the emerging reality, uh, some more successfully than others. It is uh, thus with uh, some diffidence and hesitation that I add another picture uh, to this gallery. Yet I am convinced that these other visions uh, miss in some respects crucial and central aspects of what global politics will be like in the coming years. As Chris pointed out, the title of this lecture carries a question mark, uh, which I take seriously, and I hope you will too. I offer not a prediction, uh, but an hypothesis. The issue I wish to deal, is, deal with is, what will be the fundamental nature uh, and source of conflict in uh, this new world? My hypothesis is that it will not be primarily ideological or uh, primarily economic. Uh, the great divisions among humankind and the dominating source of conflict will be cultural. Nation states will remain the most powerful actors in world affairs, but the principal uh, uh, conflicts of global politics will occur between nations and, gr and, and groups of different civilizations. The clash of civilizations will dominate uh, global uh, politics. And let me say before I go any further that I don't think I'm entirely alone or original in setting forth uh, this proposition. 
Max Beloff, uh, my colleague uh, uh, Kishore Mabubani, Michael Lind, uh, William Lind, uh, Michael Vlahos, uh have all set forth somewhat similar arguments in somewhat uh, different words. Uh, they should not, however, uh, be held responsible uh, for my formulation of uh, this argument. Well, what do we mean when we talk of a civilization? A civilization is a cultural entity. Uh, villages, regions, ethnic groups, nationalities, religious groups all have distinct cultures at different levels of cultural heterogeneity. The culture of a village in southern Italy may be different from that of a village in northern Italy, but both will share in a common Italian culture which distinguishes them from German villages. European communities, in turn, will share cultural features which distinguish them from Arab or Chinese communities. Arabs, Chinese, and Westerners, however, are not part of any broader cultural entity. They constitute civilizations. And so I would define a civilization as the highest cultural grouping of people and the broadest level of cultural identity people have assured of the human race. Now, civilizations obviously may involve a large number of people, as is the case of China, or a very small number of people, as is the case with the Anglophone Caribbean. A civilization may include several nation states, as is the case with European, Latin American, and Arab civilizations, or only one, as is the case with Japan. Civilizations obviously blend and overlap. And at least one civilization, the West, has uh, two major variants, the European variant and the North American one. Civilizations are nonetheless meaningful entities, and while the lines between them are seldom sharp, uh, they are real. Civilizations are also dynamic. Uh, they rise and fall, they merge and divide, and as any student knows, they also uh, disappear. Now, civilization identity, I am arguing, uh, will be increasingly important in the future, and the world will be shaped in large me measure by the interactions among eight or nine major civilizations. And the most important conflicts of the future will occur along the cultural fault lines separating these civilizations uh, from one another. Pan-Africanism of Parish, welcome back. I'm your host, uh, Taj Malik. Uh, we heard a clip uh, by Samuel P. Huntin, Huntington basically outlining his uh, clash of civilization theory, which basically is stating that uh, the civilizations will, conflict will occur at the fault lines where civilizations meet. So if you just want a simplistic uh, definition of... Uh, where he's going with his clash of civilization theory, there it is, uh, that at the fault lines where the civilizations meet, these are the most likely places where conflict will exist. Uh, but let's go into this a little bit more. I did put in the chat room uh, a link where you can uh, look at the article from Foreign Affairs Journal, PDF. Well, you probably can just do a simple... Uh, Google search or whatever search engine you're using, and bring up this article. Uh, we're going to read some. I'm going to read some excerpts out out of this. And remember, uh, we are discussing this article, uh, critiquing this article as it pertains to 
the issues of African people, in particular Pan-Africanism and the concept of Afrocentricity. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about those two terms. I talked about Pan-Africanism, but I have not talked about Afrocentricity uh, yet, but we will get to that. I want to get into this article. Um, depending on if you're reading the actual article from the Foreigner Journals, uh, this was in the summer of 1993. Uh, it starts on page 23, and I'm going to read an excerpt from that. Uh, it's basically setting the groundwork here for uh, this uh, this clash of civilization theory. He says, quote, World politics is entering a new phase, and intellectuals have not hesitated to proliferate visions of what it will be, the end of history, the return of traditional rivalries between nation-states, and the decline of the nation-state from the conflicting pools of tribalism and globalism, among others. Each of these visions catches aspects of the emerging reality, yet they all miss a crucial, indeed, a central aspect of what global politics is likely to be in the coming years. It is my hypothesis that the fundamental source of conflict in this new world will not be primarily ideological or primarily economic. The great division among humankind and the dominating source of conflict will be cultural. Nation-states will remain the most powerful actors in the world affairs, but the principal conflicts of global politics will occur between nations and groups of different civilizations. The clash of civilizations will dominate global politics. The fault line between civilizations will be the battle lines of the future. Okay, so here, remember that this was written in 1993. So we are reading this now in 2011. So we're, how many years is that? Seven, about 18 years uh, after this was written. So if we were to look at the conflicts that are occurring today, um, would we say that this hypothesis has some type of credibility in a sense? So let's look at some of the major issues that are going on, conflicts that are going on in the world right now, um, uh, because he's basically hypothesizing that this would be the reasons for uh, the conflicts that we're going to see. So we'll go into that. I don't want to get into it now. I really want to touch on this next part. where This is also page 2324, where he's basically talking about what is a civilization, and I think this is very important, especially as it pertains to Africa uh, and African people uh, globally. He says, quote, what do we mean when we talk of a civilization? A civilization is a cultural entity. Villages, regions, ethnic groups, nationalities, religious groups all have distinct cultures at different levels of culture Culture uh, uh, at cultural okay at at the cultural level. The culture of a village in southern Italy may be different from that of a village in northern Italy, but both were sharing a common Italian culture that distinguished them from German villages. European communities, in turn, will share cultural features that that distinguish them from Arab or Chinese communities. Arab, Chinese, and Westerners, however are not part of any broader cultural entity. They constitute civilization. 
Thus, a civilization is thus the highest cultural grouping of people and the broadest level of cultural identity people have short of that which distinguished humans from other species. It is defined by both common objective elements such as language, history, religion, custom institutions, and by subjective self-identification of people. People have levels of identity. A resident in Rome may define itself with various degrees of intensity as a Roman, Italian, a Catholic, a Christian, European, a Westerner. The civilization to which he belongs in the broadest level of identification with which he intensely identifies. People can and do redefine their identities. As a result, the composition and boundaries of civilizations change. Now, this is very, very important as it pertains. Now, if you went and uh, listened to some of the uh, archive shows, I've done a show on the nation state, uh, and I've done a show on cultural nationalism, so all of this is tying into previous shows uh, where we we talked about these things. So as it pertains to African people, it's very important to understand why Pan-Africanism is so important. Pan-Africanism seeks to bring and unite African people uh, all together as one people. At the same time, as he's saying, that one could be a, um, say, a Romo uh, in Ethiopia, in his village, he could be a Romo. And then in, in a larger perspective, in a national uh, nation-state perspective, he's an Ethiopian. This person comes to America, and he becomes a black person. So it is at this higher level that I think where the unity of African people can occur, uh, as, as, as just saying we're African, or if you're looking at a uh, adjective, you can say that we're black. But as African, it, that is where we are unifying there. And so sometimes we have allowed <clears throat> the national our nationalities and our ethnic groups to divide us uh, because we do not see each other as one. So we have to reach a certain level of consciousness to be able to do that. So this is very, very important. So now we're getting into he sets the groundwork for what is a civilization and what exactly uh, the characteristics of a civilization. So from his uh, book, and we'll get into uh, this next, he says that there's about eight, seven or eight major civilizations. And he he says Africa is possibly a civilization. Now that's interesting. So let's get into that for a moment. He says, why civilizations will clash? And it's getting into the reasons why he feel that it will clash. He said, civilization identity will be increasingly important in the future, and the world will be shaped in, la- in a large measure by the interactions among seven or eight major in- civilizations. This includes Western, Confucian, Japanese, Islamic, Hindu, Slavic, Orthodox, Latin American, and possibly African civilization. The most important conflicts of the future will occur along the cultural fault lines separating these civilizations from one another. Why will this be the case? First, uh, let's see, I lost my first. Differences among civilizations are not only real, they are basic. 
civilizations are differentiated from each other by history, language, cultural tradition, and most important, religion. The people of different civilizations have different views on the relationship between God and man, the individual and the group, the citizen and the state, parents and children, husbands and wives, as well as differing views of the relative importance of rights and responsibilities, liberty and authority, equality, hierarchy. Second, the world is becoming a small... Okay, before we get to the second, let's deal with that first. Okay, so because we do have... Um, uh, some things here. So I, I see some. There are some questions in there uh, in the uh, chat room, uh, and it's getting interesting there. But uh, it's interesting that he breaks it down these civilizations as seven or eight, where African civilization is possibly the eight major civilization. And uh, and the reason why he doesn't say that African Africa is a civilization is because of the level of consciousness and our identity as a people has been so divided uh, among ourselves uh, because of slavery, colonialism, neocolonialism, and and just the lack of a filter uh, of foreign ideas coming into Africa that counteracts uh, the the African culture in and of itself. So it's interesting as we look at that. He says possibly an African civilization. So I'm opening it up. Uh, if anyone have any question, uh, come on and call in uh, and let me know uh, exactly how you feel about this theory. We will listen to at least three critiques of uh, uh, Samuel P. Huntington's theory. It's just interesting uh, that when we examine today, uh, was he right? And when we come back, uh, we will uh, look at some of the current conflicts of today and see are they a result of civilizations, conflicts occurring because of uh, the clash of civilizations. So let's play some music, uh, some sounds from uh, the Zaire, and we'll go from there. Oh, 
Arito Kapangala, le champion, l'homme à la rose, Saza Koutiola, c'est Koutiola. Tonton d'Astre Mapouya de Paris. You are listening to a pre-recorded broadcast here at Africa's Reascension. Please make sure to check out cafepress.com slash kamal301 for your exclusive Africa's Reascension gear. T-shirts for men and women, mugs, water bottles, etc. Help support the cause of Africa's Reascension. Cafepress.com slash kamal, K-A-M-A-U, We now return to our program. One book has started a revolution. One book is emptying black churches nationwide. One book has black preachers screaming. How to make a Negro Christian www.google.com slash Kamal K-A-M-A-U 301 Join the revolution We are reintroducing our Getting to Know series in anticipation of our interview this Sunday, November 19th with Jaja Malik Atenra who has authored arguably the most important and what should be the most talked about book in our circles of 2018 Gregorian calendar, entitled Ma'atism, an Indigenous African Revolutionary Ideology. So, for the next few days, we shall be airing former blog talk shows from Mr. Atten Ra. His show was called Pan-Africanism or Perish. However, since he has left Blog Talk, if you didn't already know of his wonderful show, you cannot find his archives here because Blog Talk has deleted them. So we shall re-air a few of them that we saved to wet your palate for our live Sunday interview with this dedicated race man, dedicated Pan-Africanist, and dedicated African Victory Architect. This show was entitled The Clash of Civilizations, a critique of Samuel Huntington. Enjoy. Pan Africanism, uh, Parish. I'm your host, Taj Malik, and we're back. We are discussing Samuel P. Huntington's article, The Clash of Civilizations. Uh, and we're at the part. <clears throat> where we were trying to see exactly if he is right. He gives actually five reasons why civilizations clash, and I think we got the first two, which was first, differences among civilizations uh, create the clashes. Now, this leads to the fact that when different groups from different parts of the world, civilizations, encounter other civilizations, there are differences in language, cultural traditions, and, and et cetera, and this leads to uh, conflict. Now, I will agree on that because <clears throat> when you look at history, um, when we see uh, 
how uh, Europeans in particular went around the world uh, and how eventually they their contact with other civilizations and people uh, created uh, conflict. So we can take America in, in particular and we can look at the uh, impact of all the Americas and the and the impact of the European civilization contact with the people or the civilization of this part of the world, and we can obviously we 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 see the results here. And then the second part, he says, because the world is becoming smaller with the invention of technology, internet, etc. Uh, mass communication uh, advancements in mass communication that the world is smaller now, and so as a result, uh, this also leads to clash. And the third one, he says, uh, the processes of economic modernization and social change throughout the world are separating people from long-standing local identities. They also weaken the nation-state as a source of identity. So. Uh, so basically people uh are becoming uh more advanced uh more modernized uh, economic modernization uh has created uh people who are actually separating from their local identity so say say they're moving into cities so maybe they come from a tribal area so now they moved into a city or in one case they moved to uh another country and this is weakening the nation state as a source of identity. Now, let me just go through these right quick. And fourth, uh, he says, the growth of civilization consciousness is enhanced by the role of the West. So on one hand, I won't read this whole thing, but basically what he's saying in this, and this was is quite interesting, he says because the West, and when he refers to the West, uh, he's mostly uh, talking about uh, European nations. And when he says the West, he says because they are at the peak of their power, uh, that is creating uh, animosity uh, from other non-European or non-Western people, and it's uh, and it's is uh, is basically uh, encouraging them to return to their own roots. Uh, as he would say. So this is what he says exactly. He says, the growth of civilization consciousness is enhanced by the dual role of the West. And on one hand, the West is at a peak of power, and at the same time, however, uh, and perhaps as a result, a return to the roots phenomenon is occurring among non-Western civilization. So basically, he says, basically people who are non-European are now embracing their own culture, their own history, as a as a as a counter to uh, the West being uh, prominent in the world, or Europeans being prominent in the world. Now, this is interesting. I didn't say this; he said this, uh, which I agree with this. So, and that goes into the whole concept. Uh, kind of follows along perfectly with the whole concept of. Uh, Afrocentricity, in the sense that uh, here we are um, in America, and we also had around during this time um, one of our scholars, Malife Asante, uh, who defined Afrocentricity, coined the name Afrocentricity, and defined it 
uh, he, quote, refers to the act of placing African ideas at the center of any analysis that involves African culture and behavior. Uh, the, the Afrocentric school of thought is described similarly, similarly as looking at African culture and delineating expressions of African values, social institutions, and behaviors within the African community. Now, this is quite interesting because at the same time that he is saying this, we're basically, although this was coined in 1987, but definitely by this time, early 90s, Afrocentricity was a big thing and still is within the, the, the conscious African community in America. And so at the same time that he's saying, uh, Samuel P. Huntington is saying that this clash is uh, is going to occur because people, non-Westerner, meaning non, mostly non-European people, are going to return to your roots. You have this theory that is basically picking up steam in the mid-'90s now. So in the early-'90s, mid-'90s, you have this Afrocentricity and this theory was pretty uh, and, and pretty prominent within the African African communities. So you have this thing pushing. So that's an interesting uh, point uh, that uh, you can take from this. That in one instance, that it does encourages non-European, non-Caucasoid people to embrace uh, and return to their roots. Uh, and then uh, let's get here. And then I think the last one, uh, the fifth one. He says, uh, cultural characteristics and differences are less immutable and hence less easily compromised and resolved in political and economic ones. So and basically what he's saying is that people will compromise their politics and their economic ones. As He gives an example about communists during the uh, Soviet Union and how they became Democrats uh, and how rich people became become poor. Uh, but when it comes to culture, he says people don't compromise their culture because, uh, quote, in conflicts between civilization, the question is, what are you? Quote, this is his quote, in conflicts between civilization, the question, the question is, what are you? In other words, not which side you're on, but what are you? So here lies the issue as it pertains to African people. Uh, we have this thing where we say, who are you? Are you African? And either this is a simple question, either it's a yes or no question. If you say, if I ask you if you're African and you say you're from the land of Mu, or if you're saying you're from some planet, uh, mysterious planet, or you're saying that you're a human, or you give me any other answer other than a yes or no uh this is letting me know for your identity where you stand and your level of consciousness. Okay? So this is important. So we, I do see a lot of shows uh, on Blog Talk that is dealing with the African identity piece, and it's very vital because um, not everyone, because of the conditions the African people have suffered, not everyone is going to agree that they're African. You're going to have a whole lot of different things. Just like uh, but other people around the world, this question is not an issue. So if you go to someone of uh, Caucasian descent, now they might tell you for their, their, their nationality, I'm American or I'm German or I am this and this, 
But when it comes to are you a Caucasian, are you a Caucasoid, this question will be answered yes. Less confusion in some groups with this question uh, than, say, with African uh, groups. So, for example, we have African people born and raised on the continent of Africa who will say that they're Arab. We have uh, Caucasian people and Asian people, uh, Indian people who are born in Africa, and some of them for political reasons and economic reasons will say that they're African. Okay? So we need to understand that. Okay? Um, so let's go from there. Um, so let's listen uh, to a couple of critiques. Today's show is probably going to be a, just around an hour, but I do want to get in some critiques of uh, the clash of civilization theory. Uh, after we listen uh, to a couple, I'll take some calls. Anybody want to chime in on um, some of these critiques uh, or just your thoughts on the theory in general, let me know. And then I'll come in and give you some of mine. So let's go with uh, the first critique will be by Richard Betts, uh, a scholar here. And we'll listen to his critique of Clash of Civilizations. Huntington believed that the trends toward democratization that Fukuyama celebrated uh, didn't necessarily foster the spread of universal Western values, but they opened up uh, the agendas of uh, local groups and interests uh, and empowered nativist movements as well. Uh, as he reminded readers, politicians in non-Western societies do not win elections by showing how Western they are. Uh, I think also many people misread Huntington's argument, especially in the original 1993 article, as a xenophobic call to arms to the West against the rest. Um, but the book made clear that his aim was quite the opposite. Uh, it was to prevent the growing clash of civilizations from becoming a war of civilizations. Uh, and he emphasized the need for humility rather than hubris. Uh, and he wrote... Western belief in the universality of Western culture suffers three problems. It is false, it is immoral, and it is dangerous. Uh, spreading Western values, he said, doesn't promote peace but provokes resistance. Uh, he wrote, if non-Western societies are once again to be shaped by Western culture, it will happen only as a result of the expansion, deployment, and impact of Western power. Imperialism is the necessary logical consequence of universalism. Uh, the wiser alternative, he thought, was to accept that the security of the world requires acceptance of global multiculturality. So what was the solution to Fukuyama was the problem to Huntington. Uh, to avoid escalating conflict between civilizations, he thought required rejecting Western universalism and respecting the legitimacy of non-Western cultures, and most of all, uh, refraining from intervention in the conflicts uh, of non-Western civilizations. Uh, staying out of those conflicts, Huntington said, is the first requirement of peace.
Pan Africanism of Parish. Uh, we just listened to one interesting critique here of Samuel Pease Huntington. So right at this moment, I'm going to play a couple of critiques, uh, probably two more. But if you have any questions now, uh, uh, just give me your feedback on do you think the Samuel P. Huntington was right? We're looking at uh, something that he wrote in 1993. It is now 2011. Uh, 18 years later, uh, we do see a number of conflicts in the world right now. We have the so-called war against terrorism, which to some degree it fits into uh, Samuel P. Huntington's Clash of Civilizations theory in the sense where you have um, uh, the Islamic civilization, as he calls it, uh, which I have issues with, but Islamic is civilization, considering that Islamic Islam has spread it uh, in various uh, countries uh, outside of the Arab world. So uh, that means Africa, Asia, and parts of Europe. So when you say Islamic world, you're talking about all the places where Islam uh, is the majority, or are you saying in particular uh, Arab? Uh, um, the Arabs So I, I, I think you will probably need to define it A little bit more exactly um, um, So uh, Was he right on that uh, In that sense um, The U.S. Um, uh, occupation of Iraq And Afghanistan Is that motivated by Um uh, a clash of cultures, or was that economic, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so just think about it uh, for a moment. Uh, does that make sense to you? I'm going to see if my, my caller that's on hold, he has a take on that uh, and see exactly if we have uh, another opinion. Caller 1396 was... Samuel P. Huntington's Clash of Civilization Theory, correct? I think that 100 years ago, mankind's uh, technology reached a point where it could create abundance for everyone on the planet, and the powers that shouldn't be created artificial uh, scarcity, and that mm -hmm. is the reason. That is the reason for the wars. Okay, so it it was, if I understood you right, so it it was resource-based, is that what you're saying, or the scarcity of resources? I didn't understand you correctly. Can you clarify that for me? Yeah, um, food, the scarcity of food, like our technology, uh, like 100 years ago, uh, more than 100 years ago, was able to create abundance in in food, in shelter, in just, mm -hmm. you know, me medicine, everything. But the powers that shouldn't be, like I was telling you, created an artificial scarcity. And, um, and that's why there's, there's all the, the wars and the conflict. And what we need to do is stop feeding this Babylon system by not... Mm -hmm. Not buying gasoline, not okay. not using electricity, you know, 
um, finding a way to live with, without those things, you know. And then, the, the, you know, this Babylon system also, it, it like, feeds off of us. It, it eats us. Mm-hmm. So... So, but my question to you, is this system a byproduct of a particular civilization? Because one could counter that by saying this European, uh, Caucasian system is is what is basically you're, you're referring to, is this civilization that this system comes out of the European, Caucasian civilization and does, if we replace this particular system with something else from some other civilization, that things would be different because their views on the earth and their views uh, uh, do not coincide with Western views, where it's about consumption and where it's about profit. Uh, what do you think about that? Because someone could counter that by saying that, well, that's you're just basically saying that we should abandon uh, the European Caucasian civilization and its ideas and its systems, because capitalism is a byproduct of the European civilization. Yeah, when when I say the power that shouldn't be, um, I'm referring to all the isms out there, all of the, okay. the ocracies, you know, the governments. They're they're all failures um, mm-hmm. that just that just sneak around. And steal from us and lie to us. I mean, every in, in right. every case, you know, it's just right. it doesn't work. Right. Uh, well, it's interesting. I appreciate the comment. I want you to hold on. I'm going to play anybody else who uh, wants to chime in and give their feedback. Here's another critique. Uh, this is from I think a Turkish guy, but he's has German citizenship named Basan Tit. Tidby, and he critiques the civilization. He's actually a colleague of Samuel P. Huntington. So uh, let's listen to what he has to say. First of all, I do not talk about clash of civilization, and I do not like the idea. Uh, Samuel Huntington touches on some uh, real points, but uh, his analysis is wrong, uh, and his conclusions as well. And uh, uh, we we had we had we had many many hours of debate uh, in at Harvard uh, during lunch and dinner in Harvard Faculty Club even at his home, uh, and the, the fact that he does not quote me one single time in his book is uh, uh, an indication of disagreement because he didn't he didn't want to put it in writing. So I, we are disagreement about the clash of civilization, and I did something which he didn't like, uh, but he respected it. I I wrote with the former president of Germany. Uh, uh, Roman Herzog is, uh, uh, was uh, f- between '95 uh, and 2000 was the president of Germany, uh, president of the Federal Republic of Germany, and he wanted to write something against Huntington, and I joined him, and we published a book in English. We wrote the book, even though we are both Germans. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm German by citizenship. My mother tongue is Arabic, and English, uh, German is my third foreign language. Uh, so, but uh, we wrote a book in English. Uh, preventing the clash of civilizations, and it's a book against Huntington. We gave him the floor to write the final chapter to refute us, but he declined. Yeah, so 
be, do not be mistaken, I'm not talking about the clash of civilization. When I talk about cultural tensions and how cultural tensions develop the conflict. Um, uh, number two, I'm not talking about cultural wars. I do not believe there's so something like that. So war of ideas is another cultural war. It's a political war. Yeah? Um, and uh, one of the accusations is the accusation of culturalism. Culturalism means you explain everything by culture. You see, why there, is, there are conflict between the world of Islam and the West, you say this is a cultural war, and people who say that, who state that, which is wrong, uh, this is culturalism, that means you explain everything by culture. I, uh, I believe that conflicts uh, are multifaceted. Mo conflict have political dimension, economic dimension, social dimension, cultural dimension, and you go on. So uh, uh, conflicts are multifaceted. So uh, con you, cannot ex you can refer to culture, and I believe culture is very important, uh, but with a reference to culture alone, you cannot explain properly what is going on. Okay, Pan-Africanism of Persia uh, with your host, Taj Malik. And we just listened to a critique uh, where Bassam Tibbi, and he's talking to one of Samuel P. E. Huntington's colleagues, and he's basically disagreeing, and he's saying that there are other uh, underlining reasons for this conflict, whether they be uh, political, economic, uh, religious, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, uh, and he disagrees with uh, Samuel P. Huntington. Um, like I said, let's look at some of the conflicts that have occurred, that are occurring now within the last 10 years. Uh, was Samuel P. Huntington correct with his hypothesis about the future of conflicts in the world? Uh, he wrote this in 1993. It is now 20. 11. Uh, so uh, you're more than welcome to chime in, any of the guests, any of you in the chat room. Uh, if you just want to type it in, let me know uh, what you think about this particular theory uh, as it, uh, as some of your P. Huntington laid it out. Our next critique that we're going to listen to uh, is by Noam Chomsky and, and his critique of Clash of Civilizations. So just now, let's get back to this clash of civilizations thing. Uh, Huntington's, uh, you know, everybody is flailing around for some paradigm, you know, some big thing that you can use to control people. And Huntington's idea was clash of civilizations. So, you know, there's Islam and us and all these other things. And the reason why the world, the idea is the reason why the world is so disorderly is because you've got all, you know, with the Cold War gone, you've got all these uh, ethnic groups killing each other and so on. Well, as usual, it's always a good idea to start by asking about the facts. Whenever you hear anything said very confidently, the first thing that should come to mind is, wait a minute, is that true? You know? So is it true? I mean, is it true that there's more ethnic conflict now than there was 20 years ago? Well, take a look. Uh, in most of the big conflicts that are going on around the world, are, we're going on right through the Cold War, like Burundi and Rwanda. There were huge massacres going on in the early 70s. Actually, I wrote about them at the time. Nobody was talking about them because it wasn't interesting. But they were there. Uh, there are some, the, uh, in fact, uh, or take, say, you know, in fact, just about every one you pick goes way back. Now, there are some that are new. Those in, within the former Soviet system, including Yugoslavia. You know, within the old so-called communist system, yeah, they're new. 
So like the war in Chechnya or, you know, Azerbaijan, Armenia, you know, Tajikistan, you know, these things are all new. But that's standard. Anytime a tyrannical system breaks down, you have all sorts of conflict internal to it. Just take a look at the breakdown of the European empires. Every single one was like that, and most of them were worse. Uh, so first of all, the, the, very, the factual basis is very thin. Uh, now, what about the uh, principle, clash of civilizations? Like, say, the big bad guy is Islam. Well, there are a few problems with that. Uh, our, the most fundamentalist Islamic state in the world is our big ally, Saudi Arabia. How, how's that fit? You know? I mean, Saudi Arabia is a real... Uh, it's not fundamentalist enough for some of the people in it, but uh, it's pretty extreme. Uh, are we trying to undermine Saudi Arabia? Of course not. They're sitting on all the oil. You know? In fact, there are clients. That's a family dictatorship that we keep in power because they make sure that the money from oil doesn't go to the people of the region but goes to London and New York. So they're okay. There's no clash of civilizations there. Uh, that state fundamentalist. What about individual, you know, like not non-state? Well, by far the worst ones are the guys who are tearing Afghanistan to pieces. Uh, you find crazy, more crazy Islamic fundamentalists around than them. I don't know about them. Where'd they get their power from? Well, your pocket, you know. Uh, they got $6 billion or so, it's claimed, from the United States and Saudi Arabia uh, through the 1980s. Now they're tearing Afghanistan apart, but it's not our, you know, nothing that we did. You know, we're only wonderful people. Uh, so how, where is this clash of civilizations between Islam and the West? I don't see it. I mean, Indonesia is an Islamic state. Do you see us trying to undermine Indonesia? I mean, there's a lot of rotten things in Indonesia. Like, for example, wages are about half the level of China, which is not so munificent. Do you see us doing anything about that? I mean, I, I think this is all farce. You are listening to a pre-recorded broadcast here at Africa's Reascension. Please make sure to check out cafepress.com slash Kamal301 for your exclusive Africa's Reascension gear. T-shirts for men and women, mugs, water bottles, etc. Help support the cause of Africa's Reascension. Cafepress.com slash Kamal, K-A-M-A-U, Three zero one. We now return to our program. One book has started a revolution. Revolution has come. One book is emptying black churches nationwide. One book has black preachers screaming. Why? 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 <laughs> How to make a Negro Christian www.youtube.com slash Kamal K-A-M-A-U 301 Join the revolution We are reintroducing our Getting to Know series in anticipation of our interview this Sunday, November 19th with Jaja Malik Atenra who has authored arguably the most important and what should be the most talked about book in our circles of 2018 Gregorian calendar, entitled Ma'atism, an indigenous African revolutionary ideology. 
So, for the next few days, we shall be airing former blog talk shows from Mr. Atten Ra. His show was called Pan-Africanism or Parish. However, since he has left Blog Talk, if you didn't already know of his wonderful show, you cannot find his archives here because Blog Talk has deleted them. So we shall re-air a few of them that we saved to wet your palate for our live Sunday interview with this dedicated race man, dedicated Pan-Africanist, and dedicated African Victory Architect. This show was entitled The Clash of Civilizations, a critique of Samuel Huntington. Enjoy. Pan-Africanism of Paris, this interesting critique by Noam Chomsky uh, answering the question, was um, Samuel P. Huntington correct with his Clash of Civilization theory? And I think for most of you who are listening uh, it's obvious that uh, <clears throat> he uh, does not agree that Samuel P. Uh, Huntington's theory is correct based on the factual evidence, which is the source of the, many of these conflicts. Uh, and he points out the Islamic uh, um, alliance that we have with Saudi Arabia, uh, and he talks about a lot of these conflicts were ongoing before uh, Samuel P. Huntington uh, came about. So we had the whole thing about uh, um, uh, of uh, uh, what happened in Rwanda uh, that was um, was fit Samuel P. Huntington's theory, but. He said that had been going on for a while. Let's see, we have a question in the chat room. Uh, yes, uh, Samuel P. Huntington's theory, if you go to the show page, it gives you a nice little explanation of the theory. Uh, theorized that the world was returning to a civilization dominated where future conflicts would originate from clashes between civilizations. He further stated that the dominating source of the conflict will be cultural. Uh, and he divided the world cultures into seven civilizations, uh, said that Africa was was a possible civilization depending on the development of African consciousness. So uh, you can go at, to the show page there and you can read it, uh, and, uh, and it's easy to find. You can read his article from the Foreign Journals, 1993, the summer of 1993, uh, once again, uh, the floor is open. Any comments, uh, questions uh, that you may have, uh, chime in uh, and let me know what you think. I'm going to give my final uh, comment on this. Uh, basically, uh, this show is a, uh, about Pan-Africanism, and I did define Pan-Africanism um, uh, in a short definition, I would just say it is for the unification and of African people and the total liberation of Africa and African people from all forms of oppression. Uh, this show, we do advocate pan-Africanism as the solution to uh, African people's problems. Uh, it does not mean that we want to go and uh, 
kill all the other people of the planet. It just means that in order for us as African people to take the next step forward in our development and progression, that we need to uh, return uh, to our own self uh, rule, our own uh, our own culture, and indigenous way of doing things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's a little brief definition. Gave a more extensive one. So anyone else who have any questions, I'm gonna open up the uh, the phone lines here and. Uh, you all be able to chime in Let me know if you thought that Samuel P. Huntington was uh, right uh, Or if he was wrong So uh, call uh, 5794, you're on uh, What do you think? Greetings, I appreciate the show uh, I love the intellectual stimulation And um, uh, Well, this is my what I think um, The man Huntington, he wrote the book He says there's going to be a, the main class will be between cultures. Okay, uh, it's a it's a play on words. Like, you have to really look at the definition of the word culture. Uh, culture, is, is, is he saying, uh, okay, people who wear skirts, uh, culture where men wear skirts will clash with a culture with men who, with men who wear pants. A culture who believes that Women should cover their heads to class with a culture with women who wear hot pants. Okay, what this is, a culture is not the clothes you wear. And I'm using a definition that um, Amos Wilson was popular in um, espousing. A culture is not what you eat. It's not how you dance. It's not how you dress. It's not any of those. It's the main definition of culture that we as Pan-Africans have to deal with and focus on is the definition of culture that states culture is the things that you do as a group that benefit the whole, or the things that you do that you cannot achieve alone, the things that, that defend your group, the things that, uh, you know, uh, give your group wealth, the things that give your group peace of mind and security. That is culture. So there's always been a class of cultures. There's always been a class of class of ethnic groups fighting over resources, fighting over domination, fighting over control, fighting over commerce. So this is nothing new. You know, maybe, you know, I mean, it might be worth reading, but I think when we look about culture, we as Africans don't have a culture because I know it's a broad statement, but what do we do? That benefits us. What do we do as a group that benefits us? We can't even run the candy stores in our neighborhood. We can't even run the liquor stores in our neighborhood. We can't even, uh, you know, do basic things, provide employment for teenagers for summer work. We are so inept when it comes to our culture, our culture and our, our economics that we have light years. Everyone else is light years ahead of us. Mm. Now, I, I will. Uh, I don't know when you joined in on the show, uh, but yeah, he's, he's defining. He's yeah, excuse me. So I came in late. Yeah, he's, I uh, oh, okay. Uh, he's saying that civilizations <clears throat> are clashing. Not that's uh, and he defines civilizations as thus the highest cultural grouping of people 
and the broadest level of cultural identity people have short of which distinguishes humans from other species. It is defined both by common objective elements such as language, history, religion, customs, institutions, and by the subjective self-identification of the people. So based on this definition, this is why he said that Africa is possibly a civilization. And it's not a civilization definite because we don't have a common uh, culture in this sense. So he said mm-hmm. because there's not a collective common culture, and uh, maybe you'll have to tune in. I did a show called Cultural Nationalism. Maybe I have to go back and listen to it. But one of my arguments mm-hmm. was that as it pertained to African people in America, that we have very little remnants of our African culture left. And if anything, yes. most of us are conducting our lives uh, under a European, um, a white, Caucasian cultural system. And so even though we might think that, oh, I am Pan-Africanist, I'm African-centered, and this and this and this, the very fact that you're speaking English proves my mm-hmm. point. The very fact that you are eating the type of foods that you're eating proves my point. I don't care if it is uh, all natural vegetarian, it is still primarily fruits and vegetables that you would eat in this country versus, say, if you were living in Africa, you would be eating other fruits and vegetables. So the whole context of your being is that you're operating as an African person in America under a foreign system to you. Uh, And then so I just wanted to set the context for that so you can really understand that. So he's he's saying that basically that African people, Africa doesn't really have a civilization yet. Because we're not united okay. on on some of these things such as language, history, religion, customs, institutions, and identity. Well, yeah, he has a, point, a good point there, and I and I love that that break the way you broke it down for me. It's easy to digest. Um, look, one part on one sense he's right, but on another sense he's wrong in that it doesn't really matter if you speak English. We don't need to speak, I mean, I would love to speak African language. I'm trying to learn Swahili. But that is not necessary for us to have a civilization. The only thing we need is to have one thing on our mind, and that is to put African first, okay? The Jewish people, they don't speak Hebrew. All of them don't speak Hebrew and Yiddish. They speak English. Mm-hmm. They eat Italian yeah. food. They eat Chinese food. You know, right. and eat more different type of food than we do. Okay, now we should be on the. Eventually, we should be at a place where we can eat African food. We can eat African food from Africa, or from African farms here in America. But we mm-hmm. don't necessarily need a language and a common religion because all Jews are not religious, and all Irish are not religious. So you know, I don't know what percentage of them even go to church. But the only thing they have right. in common is that they know they are Irish, they know they're Korean, they know that Korean comes first before anybody else. Right. That's all we need is a consciousness of race first, black first, African first. When we get that in our head, right. no matter what country we're from, no matter what language we speak, we're going to make it work. 
Now, I will agree with you that we do need to start first. And like I said, you came in late, but I do go into um, the identity piece for us defining uh, who is a pan-Africanist. But in general, we do have as African people uh, worldwide, and it's because of uh, slavery, uh, colonialism, neocolonialism, and ongoing forms of oppression, uh, oppression, that we do have an issue with identity. Uh, This is why if you get a group of African people in the same room, a random group of African people in the same room, uh, we won't all agree that we are African. Mm. There are some people who will say that they are Moors. There are some Mm -hmm. people who will say that they're a New Wapian. There are some people who will say they're from the planet Ceres. Some people will say that they're American. There are some people who will say that they're not even, they're not, they're just human. They won't even go into the, <laughs> whether I'm African or not, they'll just say I'm human. I mean, we'll have, uh, some people will say I'm other, I'm I'm 5% Chinese and 2% Irish and, and 3%, you know, Native American. They'll go into the breakdown of the whole what they define as their genetic makeup. I mean, so we would have an issue. We do need to start, and this is probably why, like I said, when Samuel P. Huntington looked at the state of African people, said, well, they're probably, that's possible, or they're possible, they have the ability to be a civilization, but they're not yeah. quite there because the fundamental yeah. thing that you need, I will agree with you in the beginning, is that you have to agree who you are. If you yep. cannot disagree before you get to, um, you know, Jamaican or before you get to uh, I speak this language and before you get to I pray to this God, can you agree who you are? And if you can't mm-hmm. agree with that, then that you, you can't get together. You, you yeah, think you can you unite. You're right. Um, yeah, I like that. Who you are. Like if, when we get to the point where, a brother who's a Moor and a brother who's an African, you know, who calls himself an African, and a brother who calls himself an Israelite. When we get to the point that we recognize we are the same people and it doesn't matter what we call ourselves, you know, then we'll be ready. But, like, one thing, we, we identify with um, we identify with all these other, uh, like, you know, some African countries are French and some are Spanish or whatever. But... Right. Um, one thing that, like, there's it's two points. Like, you, your point was right. We have to know who we are, right, that we're the same people. And second of all, that being who we are and being in our element is better than joining with the other. Because a lot of us know right. we're African or black, but we still think there's more benefit in being separate from ourselves. So in other words, the closer I can get to the white man on my job, the better off I'll be. You know, the closer I can move to the white man with a neighborhood with the least amount of blacks or Africans in it, the better off I'll be. You know, the, the, right. if I can work for the... I mean, a lot yeah, of mm-hmm. this is, is, was based, is based on uh, what happened when we talk specifically to about African people in America. Uh, we're talking about specifically what happened during slavery, that there was benefit mm, mm. to accepting and be trying to be like your oppressor. And there mm-hmm. was real benefits to that. And it has mm-hmm. continued. I mean, any of us who have worked in 
uh, as an African person, has worked in a, a, a predominant uh, uh, Caucasian setting. You, we have witnessed the black people who who act white, uh, yep. who try to imitate whites, and how they are rewarded and how they are yeah. accepted. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and then you see how you are accepted if you come up in the workplace with locks in your hair or with your dashiki mm-hmm. on or, or you know, or, or whatever, you are looked upon different than, say, the person who who is conformed to mm-hmm. uh, the standards or what the expectations are of the dominant culture. So we okay. do have that issue, and as a result, for African people in America, our duty is to create our own cultural system. So when someone say, what is the culture of black people in America? Is it really distinguishable from the culture of the dominant society? And if so, what is those things? Okay. See, I like to because I I have dialogue with a bunch of brothers and sisters, so I Mm -hmm. like to say, okay, if you're saying that, you're African. Culturally, what it distinguishes you from the dominant society? Okay, so I, it's not I'll language because you speak the same language. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, uh, okay. Well, well, I, 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 I believe what we have as Africans is an anti-culture. We don't have a culture. We have an anti-culture, and what that means is that mm. that cult, what culture we have, is against us. Everything we do right. is enriching someone else. Whether we perm right. our hair to look like white women, whether we, you know, uh, you know, we buy European clothes made by them, we buy Korean uh, right. uh, food, Chinese food. We don't have a culture because there's nothing that we do that benefits the group. We do we are, we do our individual right. thing. So I want to stay on that. I, I like to focus, and you said the word that I love. You said we need to create a system. That's why I call myself Be right. Creators because we have to all put on our creative hats. Too many times we are in this analytical mode where we analyze the problem, but we need to start creating now. You know, we need to create systems. So how do we create systems? First of all, we need to create the educational uh, vehicles to get people's heads right, you know, you have to somehow. Well, my question spread. would be. Um, um, excuse me for cutting you off, but my question would be: Is it possible to cre- create a independent, separate cultural system under a dominant, oppressive culture? Oh, I believe so. I believe so. I believe. I, I really do. I mean, look at any other. Look at the other groups. Who is crying more than us? No one. You know, Jews seem to be thriving. Irish seem to be thriving. Italians seem to be thriving. Portuguese are thriving. Even Mexicans are beginning to thrive. So what the hell is different? You know, we're the only ones that's not playing the game. We're the only ones that's not playing the game. And the good thing about this economic catastrophe here is it's going to force us to realize (laughs) that our ass is grass if we don't come together. See, before we thought we could you know, that's the white correct. man. Now we yeah, see that's correct. the man in the White House can't yeah, help us. Oh, my God. Oh, the president. Right. See, that's, uh, now that's blown out, okay? That myth, you can forget it, okay? Now what you're going to do? Right. You see, they're closing all the doors. 
letting people, immigrants from the country, come in here, take the jobs. Whatever little jobs you got. Right. Half the men are in jail. So now you realize, oh, okay, are we just going to just, are we going to ride this thing out until, the, until it's over and end up on a reservation or something? Or are we going to start being men and, you know, real Africans and, and, and turning it around for us? Right. And, and that's why the title of the show is Pan-Africanism or Parish. Because it's either one or the other. Either we're going to come yeah. together yeah. Uh, and unite like other people do mm. and, yeah. and and survive and develop as a people, or we're going to perish. And it's simple. I mean, and and this, this solution is not something new. Uh, I've mm. done a show. The very show, first show I did was Pan-Africanism is the only solution. And and I talked about uh, one of the scholars said that the problem of today is that many of the African people, the conscious, so-called, quote, conscious African people, are too damn smart. And <laughs> and to a certain degree, I can relate to that because we got people that have read so many books, yeah. but they don't have the simple solution. The solution is <laughs> simple, brother. It's not even... <laughs> It's not even something complicated. It's not even something mm-hmm. simple. It's it's done in front of our eyes every day in our communities where people yep. coming from the same background, whether they be Chinese, Mexican, Filipino, whatever they, whatever ethnic group, they come into our neighborhoods, they stick together, they open up a shop right in our neighborhood, get us to send their kids to college, get their, us to buy their houses and their cars, Yep. And they make millions off of us. At the mm-hmm. same time, I mean, it's so bad that they can go to a black parade, an African parade, and mm. set up shop, and Brother. we'll go and buy their goods. Now, let's reverse Brother. that. Go to, as a black person, go to an Irish parade ah. and see how many people are going to come and uh, and buy your goods. Go yeah. to a... a uh, a Jewish event and set up a shop or some one they probably wouldn't even let your black self in there. But if they oh, did, yeah. how many people you think? Because they have their cultural identity intact, and so they know to support their own. You understand? Yep. See, that identity right. piece is very important because if you can't start from that and say I'm Chinese, so I support mm-hmm. Chinese people and their products before I'm going to support anybody else. See, we don't have that inside of our head in America, African mm-hmm. in America, because we do yep. need to make a difference. Now, Africans mm-hmm. on the continent have that to a certain degree. Their problem, uh, because, brother, I'm living on the continent now, so just so you oh. know. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, I'm on the <laughs> continent. So um, their problem is is that they're thinking that things from the West is better. See, that's the problem that you're faced with. So you, we have to do a correct analysis for each geographical located location of Africans mm-hmm. because the issues are different. So if you're mm-hmm. dealing with African people in Latin and Central America, you have to look and see what's going on there. Sometimes mm-hmm. what we do as Africans from America, we apply our issues to all of Africa, or all of African yep. people worldwide. The issues vary. Uh, and and, and the, but some things are the same though. I mean, for is the identity piece. So brothers and sisters from Africa, they in many cases, 
they're going to say they're African unless they're saying they're Arab. Because you got black mm-hmm. people, uh, Africans in Africa, who say they're Arab before they say they're African. Yeah. Because yes, once again, will. the benefits of being Arab is is more beneficial to be Arab than it is to be African. So if they can say that they're Arab, then they they receive certain benefits over people who say they're not Arab. So like I say, I have to do. I did a show African consciousness in the Arab world. You have to go back and li- uh, listen to some of the archives, and then you will mm. uh, get my drift on some of the mm. things. But any last comments, brother, before I go? Uh, okay. Um, the question is, how do we get black people, or African people, to stop our foolishness of loving every other group except ourselves? That is the question. Mm. Once we have love for ourselves, there's nothing that will stop us. Once we have love of ourselves as a people, there ain't nothing that can stop us. Uh, that is the question. Uh-huh. How do we stop our foolishness? That is one part of our culture that I that is our downfall, is that our acceptance right. of other people and our failure to see color and our failure to see differences. That is our Achilles right. right. heel. Well, I'm, a, I'm going to reserve my comments on that. Let me open it up. We still have caller 1396. You can chime in anytime you want. We have another caller 1224. Uh, your thoughts on the clash of civilization theory? Do you think Samuel P. Huntington was right or uh, wrong on that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. I'm not a, a Pan Africanist, but I do want you guys to succeed. And uh, I believe that there's a, a global class war that doesn't really discriminate against, you know, you're African or not, and uh, mm-hmm. and these these people fighting in these wars are just you know they're they're dying in these rich man's wars, and it's uh, fought, these wars are fought under false pretenses and uh, and it's and it's wrong and it's a it's like a, a military warrior culture, you know these warlords. Mm-hmm. All over the place. I'm sure you know all about that. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, I think we just need to renounce, you know, uh, all governments uh, and and these warlords as well. And and what do we is, replace it with? So if we're going to renounce governments, what do we replace it with? We'll just do it ourselves, you know. Um, each yeah. community uh, successfully takes care of itself, you know. Maybe okay. they can right. tra- trade with each other. So but we're, we're, my point is that so, so in no, other words, no some people would say we're going backwards then, in the sense uh, that uh, with this linear theory of evolution to go back to uh, communal living they would say that would be going backwards uh from our progression from uh from uh family to tribes to clans to uh states other cities to states and to where we're now with a, a global system so it's interesting uh yeah i mean that is one alternative and i think uh in some places 
they have already come to that conclusion. When you look at uh, the situation in, say, Somalia, where there is not a government, a real a real government. I mean, they have something on paper, but for a minute they had absolutely nothing uh, on paper or any individual posing to be a leader uh, of the, the, the country in and of itself. So it did go back to... Uh, you know, will be backwards in the sense in the evolutionary uh, uh, linear evolution in a sense where they went back to maybe like clan, uh, tribal type of living where 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 things were governed and ruled according to the clan. So uh, in some places of the world, uh, I do agree that uh, it might result back to that type of lifestyle uh, where it well, is, you know, the, the whole nation-state concept is completely... Abandon, and people go back to just uh, ruling and living according to their own standard in their own little communities, uh, or just on their own. Well, a lot of people aren't represented by this system, and uh, it's not working for them. You know, maybe you know if you're a, a soldier, paid killer, you know, or a police officer, uh, brutalizes people. Maybe you're. Your version of the system it works for you, but for the rest of us, it's a terrible right. thing. You know, and right, uh, right. I think no system and, and, would be better than the wrong. system we have. Yeah, let's not get me wrong. I mean, even when, although this show is is focused more on uh, Africa uh, in general, African people, but the governments in many of these African countries are, are worse. Uh, if 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 you know just as bad at least in the sense where they keep the uh, the, the common the masses of people are oppressed and they are at levels of poverty uh, on the brink of death. Uh, so um, you know it's it's real in that sense that uh, we could go back to this communal living, uh, but it would take a massive uprising. Uh, around the world to replace the nation, the concept of the nation state. And remember, uh, like I said, if you go back in my archives, I just recently, I think last month, did a show on the nation state, the death of the nation state. Uh, and remember that the nation state was a, a, a creation coming out of Europe and that uh, and many scholars are now saying that the nation state in the future uh, would be no longer. So, and the question still remains: Okay, without that nation state, are we going back to this type of communal living that you're you're, you're talking about, or is it going to be replaced by a one global system where there's a, you know, you know, a global nation or united nation of the world or whatever it would be called? Uh, yeah, it could go either way. It is going to go towards being one nation world nation, or we're going to collapse back into communal living. I mean, you might be a, uh, uh, have some insight in the future there with your, your statement, and I appreciate it a lot. Maybe it'll be a hybrid kind of future mixed together, but if that's the case, these ideas will have to be represented. So, you know, yeah. these ideas yeah. of freedom and the individual. Right, right. So I think in general, although, like I said, we're talking about African people, but I think in general it has gotten to the point that uh, that a lot of people, non-African people, are beginning to see the evils of their own governments and their own system 
because now they are feeling the wrath of capitalism and the wrath of corruption and the wrath of uh, warmongers. And, the, you know, you're beginning to feel it. And I think with the recent uprisings that we're seeing in the Arab world and, and just in general around the world, people are beginning to wake up. People are beginning to wake up. Okay. So if there's any other callers, uh, we only have a couple minutes left in the show. Uh, if you got anything else that you want to add in on this subject, uh, hopefully uh, we didn't stray off the off the uh, topic too much. But I think it was it was worthwhile uh, to listen to some other things. Uh, this clash of civilization theory uh, was Samuel P. Huntington correct? Um, I say in some instances he was, and some he was completely wrong. That would be my take on the issue. Uh, I think the the issues are uh, multifaceted in the sense that uh, you know a lot of it does all kinds of dimensions to the conflict, um, and so um, we'll go from there. Uh, hopefully, uh, those of you who came in late um, get the archives and listen to the show from the beginning. Uh, and we're going to end on some music uh, from uh, Zaire, the Democratic Republic of Zaire, and we'll go from there, and I appreciate all of you for taking time to share your thoughts with me. Thank you.
ela que me satisfaz É somente ela que me satisfaz Você sobulheu o que você plantou Por isso que eles falam que eu sou sonhador E digo que ela significa pra mim Jaja Malik Atenra's blog talk show, A Clash of Civilizations, a critique of Samuel P. Huntington. And please do not forget to tune in with us this Sunday, November 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern as we will interview this paragon of African liberatory thought and introduce to the world his latest book, Ma'atism, an, a- an indigenous African Revolutionary Ideology. Again, this Sunday, November 19th, at 9 p.m. Eastern, here at Africa's Reascension. Abibi Fahodier, Total African Liberation, Yabedi Enkonim, We Will Be Victorious. when they worship an image of God assigned to them by another people. The new revolution in Africa that will usher in real independence will start when Africans begin to look at all aspects of their life based upon their spirituality, their culture, and their political interests. The way the system of European control works is that you have to accept a concept of reality which makes them 
superior. If you deny that, their thing will not work. And they will lose their control.